Thank you, David. Thank you, Asburyans. Good to be back here with you again. Uh, I'm going to be looking at the gospel lesson that Professor Donjel just uh, read, but especially uh, one verse, Mark 9:40. And I begin by noting uh, that it has never been uh, has never become a favorite Bible verse, like John 3:16 or something. Uh, I have I. I have never seen it needlepointed and uh, you know, turned into a wall hanging. I've never seen anybody hold it up at a sporting's event. I am unaware of any controversies over displaying Mark 940 at public buildings or government property. Um, and I have never seen this verse on a bumper sticker, though it is quite short and would easily fit. This one just never caught on. And I cannot help but wonder how the history of the church and quite possibly the history of the world might have been different if Mark 940 had somehow become you know, one of our slogan verses. In case you missed it, here it is. Jesus says, whoever is not against us, is for us. Short, simple, meaning's pretty obvious, but it just never caught on and became the slogan for Christianity, did it? For the followers of Jesus. What a generous attitude this verse conveys. But, yeah, somebody might know, but uh, I'm not... Has any denomination, has any Christian group ever really taken this strongly to heart? Uh, has any um, Bible-quoting politician ever quoted this verse uh, as part of their platform? Uh, I think we should listen to Jesus when he says, whoever is not against us is for us. It's a little hard to imagine. In fact, I think it would be interesting to poll Americans and ask them uh, if they've ever heard this before. And if they have, ask them who said it. Uh, and how many people do you think would know it was Jesus? Probably a few more in Kentucky than uh, in Ohio. But, uh, but uh, even among Christians, Methodists maybe, but Lutherans, ask them. I know, because I've tried it out a little bit. Uh, who said that? Whoever is not against us is for us. That sounds like something Oprah might have said, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Phil or some, some positive thinking pop guru. Uh, it's a nice, sweet thing to say, but it's kind of naive and you could never actually take it too seriously uh, or you'd get in all kinds of trouble. Um, optimistic thought. Okay, there it is, in the Bible, the Word of God, the source of all revealed truth, on the lips of Jesus, no less. Seldom quoted, but eminently quotable. Let us all say it together. Whoever is not against us is for us. Now, 
I know some of you right now are thinking it's a little more complicated than that, and you're remembering some other things that it says elsewhere in the Bible. So I'm just going to stop for a moment and say, uh, to rein in those distractions, uh, and say, yes, of course, things are always more complicated uh, than one verse, especially a slogan verse. Uh, we may find, for example, that over in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus says almost the opposite. He says almost the other way around. He says, whoever is not with me is against me. Well, you know, the different contexts, though I think with a little more work, I actually could show you that Mark 9.40 tends to be typical of the Markan Jesus, and Matthew 12.30 tends to be typical of the Matthean Jesus, but well, we don't have time for that, and in any case, we do not have the option of choosing the Markan Jesus or the Matthean Jesus as our Lord. We follow them both, and a number of other biblical Jesuses as well. So, I'm, obviously it calls for sound critical exegesis and just spiritual discernment to know when we heed the one. Whoever is not against us is for us. And when we would feel compelled to heed the other, whoever is not with us is against us. There's some discernment there, but it's too much for one sermon. And so today we're just going to focus on that one single text and wonder if we have been faithful in following it in those points of our lives where it would be appropriate to do so. Let's look at the context. Here it is. There's the story. Jesus' disciples come up to him and they say, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Here's my paraphrase. Teacher, we saw someone delivering people from evil powers. No question that he was doing that. And he was doing it successfully. People were, in fact, being set free from evil oppression. He was helping people, improving the quality of people's lives, sure, Grant all that. And uh, yeah, he, he was doing it in your name. No question about that either. He was giving you all of the credit, all of the glory, setting people free from evil oppression in a way that brought honor to the name of Jesus Christ. But he did not belong to our group. So we told him to stop it. That's the paraphrase. <clears throat> yeah, that's pretty much the story in a nutshell. <clears throat> and uh, what I kind of love about it is, at least the way I read it, 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 it seems to me that they were proud of what they had done. I, I imagine them just kind of standing there grinning from ear to ear as they tell Jesus about their efforts to stop all this unauthorized liberation from evil that's been going on. <laughs> like, like, like they expect him to, uh, to, to congratulate them and to commend them for their diligence. You know, good work, boys. We don't want this 
putting an end to evil thing to spread beyond our own group now, do we? It's such a bizarre little story. But there it is. Whoever is not against us, they're not our enemies, they're not fighting against us, they're, they're on our side. They're for us. God uses many people to accomplish God's purposes, including people who don't belong to our group, including people we would not authorize including people we might want to shut down. Moving on from just the one verse in the story of the freelance exorcist, we uh, recall in Romans 14, we heard uh, Paul mention his favorite image for the church, the body of Christ. There are many parts of the body. They are all different from each other, yet they are all important and valuable to God. You know, he takes that up again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he expounds upon it. The, the, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And that's a little bit like the people in Jesus' Jesus disciples saying to this, whoever this freelance exorcist was, you know, God's mission doesn't need you. So, we get the image, diversity is not only tolerated, but celebrated. We all get that. There are a handful of passages in the New Testament that seem to indicate that we are all supposed to think alike. Have you found any of those? Paul says, I want you all to agree with one another. First, that's 2 Corinthians 13, 11. I want you all to agree with one another. don't think I've seen that one needle-pointed either, but there it is. I, I hear that one, and I just... I sometimes want to, I try not to argue with Jesus, but I sometimes argue with Paul. Uh, and, uh, and I say, well, you want us all to agree with one another? What? On, 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 uh, on doctrine? On politics? On what color the new carpet should be? Uh, I mean, what, what do you mean, Paul? What is the, uh, what are, what is the, what is the range of, area that in which we were supposed to all agree with one another. Uh, so when I was in college, I made a memory verse out of uh, Philippians 1.27 in whatever translation of the Bible I was using at that time. In my Bible, it said, I want you all to be of one mind. And I remember that in, in my Bible, they were the last words on the page. Uh, there wasn't a period, but they were the last words on the page. And so I got an index card and I wrote, that on one side and Philippians 127 on the other and I memorized it and for a little while I was using that verse as my proof text for uh, why there should not be any disagreements in the church. Eventually somebody pointed something out to me and I learned a valuable lesson for interpreting scripture that I will pass on to you now. Always turn the page. Uh, I mean, uh, especially if there's no period at the end. That, that means the sentence, the verse, keep, it keeps going. Uh, so what Philippians 1.27 actually said is, I want you all to be of one mind with regard to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it says. Uh, that's a little different. 
be of one mind with regard to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, actually, in, in somewhere else, in Romans chapter 14, Paul uh, lists some things that apparently were hot item controversies back then. Uh, they're no top the list today from most churches, but uh, they were, I guess these were the, these were the big uh, things people argued about. Uh, one of them was whether uh, some days should be considered special days uh, or whether all days should be treated alike. Uh, Okay, and uh, uh, so there was the special day, you know, lobby and the no special day group. And uh, then there was the, uh, uh, and also whether you should eat, whether good Bible-believing Christians should eat meat or just vegetables. Uh, and, you know, and, and so on. So Paul lists these things. And then he gives this advice. Let each one... Make up his or her own mind what to believe. And this is the part I like. Let each one be fully convinced in his or her own mind. That's kind of an amazing statement. And I think it's a kind of cool image for the church. A congregation of people who don't just have different opinions about things, but who have very strong different opinions about things. Fully convinced that they are right about certain things that are important to them. And I have to assume, also, fully convinced that other people in the congregation are wrong about those matters that are important to them. And Paul's advice, this is the, I want you to be of one mind guy. Paul's advice is, each person should be fully convinced in his or her own mind what to believe. That's the advice. Sociologists, religious or otherwise, would tell us that such a, that's a recipe for disaster. I mean, a, a community will never hold together. Uh, with that kind of, uh, with that kind of a uh, philosophy. But I like what the excellent Lutheran theologian, Dan Olson, says about this. He starts out by saying, the church is not a community of the like-minded. There are plenty of communities of the like-minded around today. There's nothing wrong with them. They're easy to find. Plenty of them around to fulfill anybody's need or simply desire to spend time with people who think like they do or share their interests, share their ideas and opinions and plenty of people, plenty, plenty of groups like that. If you want to join one of those groups, you know, like a club, uh, go ahead. It can be nice. Enjoyable, relaxing, non-stressful to hang out with people who share your likes and dislikes, who think like you do. But that is not the church. And then he goes on to say, the church would not need the supernatural, miraculous power of the Holy Spirit to be a community of the like-minded. 
It does not require being clothed with power from on high to get along with people who agree with you. What the Bible tells us and what historic Christian church believes is that Jesus Christ poured out the Holy Spirit on the sons and the daughters of God so that what we would otherwise deem idealistic can actually happen in the real world. It is a miracle of God that occurs at Pentecost and some of the rules of sociology just don't apply when the supernatural miraculous power of the Holy Spirit gets involved. God forms this community and makes it to be one body. We are the body of Christ. But we still have our own bodies that are very different one from another. Fat or skinny, black, white, male, female, all bodies very, very different from each other. But somehow we're all one body in Christ. And we have the mind of Christ. But we also have perspectives, personalities, opinions, and ideas that are very diverse from each other. The church can be one body when it is composed of people with diverse bodies. And the church can have one mind, the mind of Christ, when it is composed of people who have very different minds. All right, many of us, probably strongly opinionated people, the kind of people who go to graduate school and especially seminary are usually pretty opinionated. And I know I am. I, I have very strong opinions about lots of things, not just religion and morality and politics, but also literature and culture and fashion and uh, I mean, all kinds of things. Apple or PC, Marvel or DC, Coke or Pepsi, Apple or oranges, Fruit Loops or Raisin Bran, cats or dogs, the beach or the mountains, Sammy Hagar, David Lee Roth. I mean, I, 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 I got opinions about lots of things. Uh, but I have figured out a plan for how I can get along with everyone else in the Christian community including all the people who have different opinions from me. Now, I'm going to share my plan with you, but it won't help you very much because it kind of only works for me. Here's my plan. Start with the observation, I probably disagree with many of you on many different things. I would then move on to say that I assume I am right on all of those matters. <laughs> and I, I'm sorry, but that, that means you're wrong on many things. But I do not need to argue with you about any of those things because someday we are all going to be in heaven together and then you will know that I was right. <laughs> so, so here's the plan. I mean, what we got all eternity, right? I figured I could take the first two or maybe 300 years in heaven and just spend, just spend the first few centuries in heaven going around looking up all the people who disagreed with me things, things on earth and telling them, see, I told you so. But 
That's the plan. And I can't imagine anything that could possibly go wrong with it. It means I don't need to argue with you about everything now. But as I said, it kind of only works for me. It won't work for you. So, uh, no. All right. Um, sociologists sometimes talk about markers of social identity, <clears throat> the things that bond us to each other. Age, race, gender, uh, political party, uh, marital status, economic uh, level, uh, social class, uh, nationality. These are all markers of what they call social location. And uh, Marty Stortz, another fine Lutheran theologian, uh, says that for Christians, baptism is our primary identity or social location, the primary factor of our social location, the one that trumps all others, is baptism. We may describe who we are <clears throat> with reference to lots of things, race, gender, nationality, political party, blah, blah, so on, but baptism defines our identity in a transcendent way that is more profound, more ultimate, than any of those superficial descriptions, because baptism defines who we are in Christ, and therefore it defines who we will always be. I don't know if I will still be male in heaven. Biblical passages, a little hard to figure out on that. But I'm pretty sure that I will not be white or American, or Lutheran. But I will be baptized. That's forever. That's an eternal marker of my social location. Perhaps the only one, certainly the primary one. We must recognize then that the bond of commonality that baptism brings it, what this means is that I have more in common with a black African woman who is baptized than I do with a white American man who is not. Baptism defines our identity in a way that no other marker does. But I'd be the first to admit it doesn't always feel that way. It doesn't always seem that way. Do I really have more in common with baptized Republicans than unbaptized Democrats? In swing state Ohio, you know, it, I don't always feel it, but I confess it. It's true. Or what about those preachers or TV evangelists or whatever whose theology is, you know, not heretical, but maybe just kind of embarrassing. Uh, okay. Trying to defend America against gay Teletubbies or Harry Potter or SpongeBob SquarePants or something else. Uh, I, 
Do I really have anything in common with them? The Apostle Paul says, you absolutely do. Whoever has been baptized into Christ has put on Christ. And he says the church is one body and we all need each other. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Even if I'm embarrassed by you. And the mark in Jesus says, whoever is not against us is for us. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, probably the greatest of all uh, Lutheran theologians, teaches that the unity of the church is not an ideal to be attained, but a reality to be recognized. We are all one body, whether we know it or not, whether we feel it or not, indeed, whether we like it or not. We are all one body in Christ. And what happens to any one of us affects the entire body. So, Marty Stort says, think of baptism as your primary identity. Put it ahead of being male or female, ahead of being black or white, ahead of being liberal or conservative, red state or blue state, Lutheran or Methodist, whatever. We are all part of one body, whether we realize it or not. And the mission of the church, according to this image, is not to achieve unity, but to act as the unified entity that it already is. A little while back, I asked, how do you think the disciples felt when Jesus rebuked them for trying to shut down the ministry that was not to their liking, you know, when Jesus... They, they might have been kind of proud and said, you know, we, we, we told that guy to cut it out. And then Jesus is not proud of them, not pleased with them, rebukes them and says, don't tell him to stop. Whoever is not against us is for us. How do you think they felt? Shot down, embarrassed, egotistical. A better question would be, have you ever felt that way? Confronted by Jesus with the realization of misplaced pride. Something that seemed really important to you at the time. Seemed worth defending and indeed confronting, even attacking others. Seemed so important at the time. For the passage of years, still feel the same way about that? Or has some different wisdom crept in? Here's a better question still. Will you feel that way again in the future? Maybe with regard to something you're doing right now. Something that seems right, but that the passing of time will reveal to have been maybe not wrong, but just egotistical. Because God has a bigger agenda than we have. Be careful what or whom you oppose. Such opposition will be judged by Christ's severe generosity. 
Whoever is not against us is for us. And if we feel ourselves even potentially to be under such judgment, then we need to be sure to hear the really good news in this passage, the gospel of our Lord. And I think it is this. God's work is not only done through us, but apart from us. And sometimes, praise God, even in spite of us. There are others, people doing good work in Jesus' name, people who we would be inclined to dismiss or even oppose. They're part of God's mission, part of Christ's body, part of God's work also, because the good news is nothing ultimately depends on us. Left to our own devices, we'd be shutting down the work of God and be proud of having done so. But it doesn't ultimately depend on us. You probably know the cliche, God's church does not have a mission. God's mission has a church. God's mission is going to be accomplished. The good news is God decided it can be accomplished through us. And it will be. It's exciting to be in the church, being used by God, taking part in God's mission. But it is God's mission. God is responsible for its success, not us. God works through us. But God also works through others, with or without our knowledge, with or without our approval. That's incredible good news. I submit to you, it is good to be dispensable. To be ultimately unnecessary. It is so liberating. You remember Elijah under that broom tree. Oh, Lord, what would you do without me? I alone am left. And God says, ha, I have 7,000 more like you. Imagine, there were 7,000 Elijahs running around the world at that time, and we don't know a single thing about any of them. How many do you think there are today? If we could view humanity with the generosity of Christ, how many allies would we see? Whoever is not against us is for us, Jesus says. It is so not about us, the mission of God.